0: I'm going to talk today about having a, the power of gratitude, the power of gratitude, the power of thanksgiving, the power of praise. God places an incredible um, priority on gratitude and praise. It's interesting. Actually, to me and probably to you, it seems kind of out of balance they so into this praise and gratitude thing. And gratitude can also be looked at as thanksgiving or giving of thanks or even praise. A dictionary definition for praise is to, to uh, express respect and gratitude, especially for a deity. And Tyler, can you bring me down just a little bit? And so, what is it that God's so into uh, praise about? And thanksgiving and gratitude. Now this weekend is a great time to restoke our attitude of gratitude. We've been enjoying a thanksgiving weekend, and so I hope those Thanksgiving and gratitude fires are getting stoked, and, and sometimes what keeps us from being thankful is we think about all the things we don't have, and God doesn't want us to do that. I'm just going to let you in on a little secret you might not have realized yet. There will always be more things you don't have than you do have. Have you ever noticed that? Back in the mid-80s, there was a, the Marcos were president and first lady of the Philippines, and they were ousted in like 1986. And Imelda Marcos, she was famous for having a large quantity of something. Now, you might have to be 50 years old or older to know this, but does anybody remember what Imelda Marcos... Shoes, exactly. She had over 3,000 pair of shoes. 3,000. Isn't that crazy? I mean, most women are used to... or. If they had two to three hundred pair, they're fine. You know, that's fine. Just two to three hundred would be enough. She had over 3,000 pairs of shoes. And the interesting thing about it is, even though she had over 3,000 pairs of shoes, do you realize that there were hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pairs of shoes she didn't have? Maybe that was her mission. I'm not so sure. She kept piling them up there. Uh, that was her thing. So I want you to notice there will always be more that you don't have than you do have. And we want to have grateful hearts. We saw last week in Proverbs fifteen fifteen that a merry, a cheerful, a grateful heart, a person with a grateful heart, with a cheerful heart, that they have a continual free feast. Remember that? They have a continual feast regardless of the circumstances. So when we have a cheerful heart, we have a continual feast. In Proverbs twenty seven twenty, it tells us that, that the eyes of man are never satisfied, that the human desire for more is never satisfied. Now, having more is not bad when it's kept in God's perspective. Because I want you to know something about God. He's a God of more. Amen. Everything he's established in, in creation just continues to prosper and do more and get more and have more. Think about you plant a few seeds and you grow an apple tree. Think of the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of seeds that come from that little, you know, beginning of that. God, God is a God of more, but we've got to keep things in perspective. And so the, the Lord wants us to not just be like the world who's never satisfied with what we have, but to have a glad heart so we have a continual feast. So we're going to look at some things that the Word of God shows us so we can get his perspective on stuff. Because remember, we're always looking for God's perspective. A couple of weeks ago we talked about we're growing in the knowledge of God. We can have, the, I have it, you have it where we say, well, I always kind of thought, no, no offense to me or to you, but I always kind of thought does not, usurp the authority of God's word. So we want God's word to change how I used to always think if it's different from God's word. And so we're going to see some things in God's word to understand and begin to get an understanding of how powerful gratitude and thanksgiving is to God. The first one, if if we uh, were reading through Deuteronomy chapter 8, we would find out that God says, when I give you principles, if you'll follow them, if you will obey them, then you're going to increase. I just want you to know that God makes no apology for that. I make no apology for that. When we follow God's principles, natural or spiritual, there will be increase coming. We understand that in the natural realm. If you're a farmer that has 1,000 acres, and you sow seed on 1,000 acres every year, but one year you decide, I'm not going to sow 1,000 acres, I'm only going to sow 100 acres, well, see, there's a natural principle. As long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. When you decide to only sow 100, and you find out your harvest is one-tenth of what it used to be, don't get mad at God. Don't think, well, God was just, God, he's out to get me. No, he established a natural principle. You chose how you wanted to use that principle. You sowed, you know, 90% less, and your harvest was 90% less. The same thing is true about spiritual things. So in Deuteronomy 8, he's talking about all these things. He said, when you follow my commands and my obeys, what happens is you get in the flow of God's blessing because his principles work. And he says, what happens is that you will find out slowly but surely everything around you begins to increase. Your, your family increases, your household increases, your cattle increase, your sheep increase. The Bible says your silver and gold increase. You can read this, is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it says, everything you have increases. And it said, and then one day you'll be living in a fine home. Don't you like that, a fine home? You'll be living in a fine home. And it said... When that happens, so everything's increased, let's, let's pick it up now on, on Deuteronomy 8.10. It says, when you have eaten, are satisfied. Now, he's already talked about all the increase I just mentioned. When you have eaten, are satisfied. Look at what God asks of us. He doesn't say, you should feel awful about this and, and you should crawl through broken glass and grovel before me. No, he says, just praise the Lord, your God, for the good land he has given you. For the good land he has given you. He gave us a good land. Now, sometimes people say, well, why should I thank God for that? Because they look around and everything's increased in their life. And they say, I worked hard. I went to school. I got a good education. I got a good degree. I went into the, the business world. I worked my way up the ladder. I saved money. I invested well. I did all this and that. It's all fine. I did all this work. And now you want me to say praise God for it? He said, it wasn't God. I'm the one who did it. There's a little story about a farmer who just bought bought an absolutely ransacked, run-down farm, and uh, the local minister came by and greeted him when he first bought the farm and said hi to him. A few years later, he comes by to visit the the guy, and the barns are all repaired, they're all painted, the the fields are all fenced, the harvest is big, the the crops are abundant, the cattle are, are great, everything's beautiful, and the farmer looks at the guy and says, oh my goodness, look at this wonderful farm the Lord has given you. And he said, the Lord gave me. You ought to see this when he had it all by himself. And so we do kind of understand that we're in partnership with God. We are in partnership with him. But still, we are dependent upon him to give us our next breath. And so even in Deuteronomy, if you keep reading, you'll say, now be careful. Because one day you'll look around and you have followed my commands and my decrees. And everything in your life has come up a level and been blessed. And you'll say to yourself, hmm, this wasn't God. This was the work of my own hands that caused me to prosper. And, and the Lord said, be careful because everything will start unraveling when you keep that lack of humility before God. King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon, uh, he's in the Bible, Daniel talks about him. King Nebuchadnezzar uh, absolutely had to be an incredibly brilliant man. He had to be a strategist on every level, on architecture, on war, on economy, on commerce, on the list goes on and on. He had a dream. He got a a warning in a dream. But it says a year later, he stood on his royal palace rooftop and he looked over the great Babylon. He said, is this not the great Babylon that I built with my own hands for my own glory? And immediately when he said that, he lost all of his senses. And for another year, he grazed naked in the field like a cow. One year. It's just like God said, okay, Who gave you the brain? Who gave you the breath? Who gave you the ability? Who gave you? You say, "Well, I went and worked hard." Well, who who gave you the strength to go do that? We're in we're in here today because we had the strength to be in the house of the Lord. So we need that nothing else. Thank God for that. One year later, he comes to his senses immediately. Guess what? The first thing he does gives thanks and glory to God. (laughs) He begins. He's he's figured out that he's not God. There's another passage in, in the book of Corinthians where, where it's very interesting because the same chapter that we're going to look at here in a second says that God gives us these events that happen in the Old Testament, they're examples for us. They're examples for us and they're warnings for us. So we look at these Old Testament things. They're not worthless, these Old Testament principles. Absolutely not. Uh, even though we're New Testament believers, we're Gentiles, we're not Jews, they're, they're, they're teachings, they're warnings, their instructions, their guidance for us. And Paul is talking to the Corinthians, who is a Gentile group of people, but he's talking about, he was giving them some insight from the Old Testament. He said, the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt by the mighty hand of God. He did wonderful things. He defeated the strongest army. Uh, A a slave people defeated the strongest army and nation on planet Earth by the hand of God. God dealt uh, a death blow to every one of the gods of Egypt. And the children of Israel left Egypt with, with the plunder of Egypt. The Bible says the children of Israel, or the Egyptians were given the children of Israel their robes and their clothes and their gold and their silver and food and provisions and everything. And they plundered Egypt. They never raised a sword. They never drew a spear or a bow, an arrow, nothing. And they plundered Egypt because of the mighty hand of God. And so a million plus people. It also says that a million plus people left Egypt and there's not a feeble one among them. Can you imagine that, that that everyone left on their own steam? No one had to cart grandma and grandpa or great-grandma and grandpa out of Egypt. They could walk on their own steam. So God did these mighty things, and you know the Red Sea story. And then Moses goes up on the mountain, and he goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. In just a couple weeks, the people said, we don't know this Moses guy, we don't know where he's gone, he's probably dead. Make us a god that we can worship. And so they make this golden calf, and they said, here is the God that delivered us from Egypt. Now, I'm just thinking as a person, not as God, because God's long-suffering. He hates the sin calamity. But I'm telling you, had I been God, that would have really ticked me off. Yeah. To say, are you kidding me? I delivered you with a mighty hand, and you're saying this cow did it? This cow is, is your deliverer? Then Moses comes down off the mountain, I don't know how else to say it, the King James says all the people have broken into, now not all, but a large percentage of the people have broken into pagan revelry. It was literally a drunken orgy going on down there, and the people, and and you could say, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? The holy, mighty God just delivered you. It wasn't a praise party going on, it wasn't a worship service, it was pagan revelry. They tested God, they tempted God, and... and, uh, Paul is telling, there's four things. This ought to catch our attention. There's four things that caused the children of Israel, that generation, everybody but two people, only two people out of that generation made it into the promised land, and it was Joshua and Caleb, the only two. And that whole generation died, and their bones are scattered throughout the wilderness because of these four things. And it was uh, idolatry. It was uh, gross sexual immorality. They tested and tempted God, and we can hear, we can feel the anger that you should have if you were God over all that. But then God lists a fourth thing. This is the fourth thing that was a heinous, awful thing the children of Israel did. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians ten, ten, and do not what grumble. You put that in with the other three. If you're like me, you would say, I don't think that fits that category because I always kind of thought, but remember, what I always kind of thought or felt or you doesn't usurp the authority of God. So God says the fourth thing they did that was so grievous, so heinous to him, so awful that their bodies died in the desert is do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. So God throws grumbling, complaining, murmuring, depending upon your translation. In other words, a lack of thanksgiving, a lack of thankfulness, a lack of gratitude is very grievous to God. In the book of Romans, we start reading. The book of Romans starts off pretty good, but then it gets, some, it gets some tense steam on it, starting at about verse 18. And he says, says for the wrath of God is going to be poured out against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people, and it just starts listing their, their gross sin, it goes on and on and on. And, and it says, they did not even want to entertain the thought of God. It said, they did not consider the knowledge of God something to be retained. So here's what happens. They're saying, God, not only do we not want to have you meddling with our lives in any way, we're going to do life on our own terms, how we want, when we want, where we want, with whom we want. We don't even want to think about you. We want to push you out of our lives. We don't even think you're worth remembering and so I can see how if I was God, that angst me up a little bit. But then we pick up on it in Romans 1, 21. It says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, and I get that, but look at the last of it, nor gave thanks to him. Really? I mean, you put not giving thanks thanks in there with all that other stuff? Yeah, God does. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, mark this, put this in your little book. Mark this, in the last days there will be terrible times, there will be perilous times, there will be horrible times. And then it starts listing the grievous sins of the people in the last days. They'll be lovers of themselves, narcissistic, self-centered, self-consumed. They'll be lovers of money, in other words, they'll be greedy, they'll be Ruthless, they'll be dishonest, they'll do whatever because money's all that will matter to them. They'll be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, oh, and, and ungrateful. And then he goes on lists 10 other horrible sins. You, when you read that list, you say, ah, ungrateful? I mean, does that really fit in there? God says it does. So I'm going to trust God knows what he's doing since he is all knowing that thankfulness is a big deal to God. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but you probably are. You probably think, wow, that's probably a higher level. I would put gratitude, thanksgiving, you know, praise than when we read those lists. But I need to establish some God facts right now. First of all, God is not needy. Second of all, God is not, he does not have a fragile self-image. That's just so tender, we got to kind of walk on eggshells around him, and we got to keep bolstering his self-image because he gets depressed real easy and gets down and gets bummed out. No, he's none of those things. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is all-present. He's God. By very virtue that he's God, one of the concepts of God is you don't need anything. You're God. If God needed something, do you know what he would do? He'd make it. He wouldn't come to you and say, hey, I'm kind of a little low on cash. You got anything you can give me? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't need. He's God. And so we think, okay, so God doesn't have to be thanked. God doesn't have to have gratitude or thanksgiving or praise. He doesn't have to have it. I mean, if we all decided to turn our back on God and never give him another bit of thanksgiving, he'd still be God. So if it's not for him, who's it for? I have a suspicion. I have a suspicion it's for us. There's something about the spiritual principle that God has created that there's a flow that happens when we have gratitude, when we have thanksgiving. And and thanksgiving and thankfulness and gratitude also, this really gets paired together, is an act of humility. You know why a person doesn't want to say, praise the Lord for the good land he has given me, is because he or she's pride filled. Are you saying I'm needy? You're saying, I wasn't good enough. You're saying, I couldn't invest wisely. You're saying, I couldn't take care of this farm. You're saying, I couldn't increase the cattle and my silver and gold. You see, it's pride, feels like I'm not, I don't want anyone to think I am not all it. But God says, you ain't all it. But he says, even though you ain't all it, I really, really love you, and I got a plan for you that if you'll get in this flow, you'll really start experiencing some blessing of God. And so it's, it's for us. So there's three results at least. I'm sure there's maybe a hundred, but we're going to look at three results of gratitude and thanksgiving. The first one is that honors God in humility. It honors God in humility. Thanksgiving keeps everyone in the rightful place. Thanksgiving keeps God as God, the benevolent provider, and we are his beloved recipients, and we don't want to forget that. So it keeps a humbleness in our hearts that we realize who we are. We're not God. And so this reward to being humble, this reward to being thankful before God, James talks about it. James, the brother of Jesus, writes these words in James 4, 6. But he, God, gives us more grace. Now grace is often defined as undeserved favor, which is a good definition for it, but that's also a really good definition for mercy. So grace is a bigger word. Grace is is the divine empowerment of God to do something. It's the divine empowerment of God to do something. The Bible talks about us escaping the corruption of this world, getting rid of deceitful desires and all this, and it says that God gives us grace to do that. The grace of God teaches us to say no. The grace of God empowers us. So God gives us empowerment. He says, but, he said he gives more, us more grace, more power, more ability, more favor. That is why Scripture said God opposes the proud but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. And in James 4.10, a few verses later, it says, Humble yourselves before God, and he will lift you up in honor. Humble yourself before God, and he will lift you up in honor. I don't know, but what what if Nebuchadnezzar would have been on his palace looking over his lands, and he would have said, You know, I know Daniel's God to some degree, and I know that if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have the next breath I took. I have a feeling the whole story would have been different if we would have given glory to God and praise and thanksgiving to God. So we want to humble ourselves. So what do we do? Well, sometimes you may say, I'm pretty awesome. You need to say, hold on, hold on, cowboy. You're not as awesome as you may think you are. See, here's some good news. You're not as good as people say you are but you're not as bad as they say you are either. So somewhere in there is is where we do life. And so we can say, okay, I humble myself before you guys. Started to have kind of a haughty thought, thinking I was all that, but I know this. In you, I live. In you, I move. In you, I breathe. In you, I have my being. So forgive me for that little crazy thought there for a moment. It's all because of you. See, the cool thing, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, but in him, we can do everything. Isn't that cool? What an awesome Savior we have. So we humble ourselves before the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. He will lift you up in honor. Psalm 23 says he'll prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He's exalting us in front of our enemies. And all the people said you couldn't make it. All the people said you were never no, going to mount anything. All the people who said all that. God prepares a table before, before them in your honor. Wow. God will honor you. God will exalt you. God will lift you up. The second thing is that it's healthy. Now, I bet for the last twenty-five years or more, the the medical world has been been helping teach the scripture on this that, that we are, are people when we're thankful when we're grateful that it's good for us. You you probably you don't have. I'm not talking about Christian stuff. I'm just talking about psychological Christian or non Christian secular stuff. We'll have reports like this. Here's Harvard Health. In positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. So those two are connected. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions. Gratitude helps people relish good experiences, improve their health. That's what Harvard Health says. Improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. You'll read stuff like that everywhere for the last 25 years, the value of of a great attitude, a value of optimism, a value of thanksgiving, a value of being a thankful person. Well, you know, the health world caught up with the Bible. Proverbs 17.22 says in the Amplified Classic Edition, a happy heart is what? Good medicine. A happy heart is good medicine. And a cheerful mind works what? Healing. Wow, isn't that awesome prescription? But a broken spirit dries up the bones. Yeah. Now I'm not opposed to the medical world at all. All I can say is if you ever paid attention to the commercials the last ten years, they'll be like, This medication can help with this problem. And then I don't know if they do it so much anymore. Then they used to go like the puppy dogs and flowers and fields and meadows and then say, But beware, and it would give all these um, you know, possible side effects. I always loved the last one, and possibly Death. You know, that's a pretty big side effect, uh, and possibly death. So, no side effects to having a happy heart. No side effects, no negative ones anyway, to having a cheerful mind. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. It's unhealthy for us. So, Thanksgiving, gratitude, praise, all those things. It's healthy for our mind. It's healthy for our emotions. It's healthy for us mentally, it's healthy for us physically, and it's healthy for us spiritually. We've already seen that, how, how God puts spiritual benefits to a healthy, grateful heart. The third one that I'm always excited about, I, pro- I probably use this one every Thanksgiving, and I'm not sure I ever won't, you know, because it just fits so well. If you come up with a better one, send it to me, but I like this. The third one is, it's an open door to increased blessing. I want to remind you, God's not opposed to you increasing. He really is not opposed to you increasing. We sometimes get that, and, and the devil will play off of that because you've got a heart that wants to go after God, you love God, and you just, I, I, w- I was uh, uh, thinking about something I wanted one time. I've shared this story a couple times, and I just felt like, I'm, I'm not going to say it was the Lord for sure, but I just felt like something in my heart said, just ask me for it. And I thought, I remember thinking, oh, I couldn't ask you for that. I am so blessed. I am so this. It felt like to ask God for something would be ungrateful. You know, it would be like I wasn't grateful. But it's not. The Bible says we can. Now, we have to watch our hearts because we, again, the eyes of man are never satisfied. Sometimes we have to watch our hearts. Well, we always have to watch our hearts. But God is not opposed to us increasing. It's the natural order of things in the natural and the spiritual world is increased. We just got to keep everything in balance. He's God. We're not. And he ultimately totally satisfies our souls. Because you know what? If we really fall in love with Jesus, one day we're going to leave this world. And and don't let this depress you. This isn't depressing. One day we're going to leave this world and we're not taking anything with us. Not a thing with us. And when we stand in the presence of Jesus, we're not going to say, really wish I could have brought my car. Really wish I could have brought my favorite outfit. I really wish I could have brought, no, he will be more than enough. And so we can enjoy it. God has given us everything to enjoy, so we can enjoy it while we're here, but it will pale in comparison. It won't even be comparable to knowing Jesus and being in his presence. But it's an open door, it's a portal to more gratitude and thanksgiving. Let me give you a natural example. This happened to me a few years ago. Very similar time frame. I got two messages from a couple of young men who were going on a mission trip. I knew both of them to some degree, support their love for God and everything. And so I read over that and I said, okay, and there's a little link on Facebook you could send them, you know, a gift to. So I sent each one of them a hundred bucks. And within 24 hours, I got an immediate reply. I call that pretty fast. Uh, They got right back with me. One of them did anyway and said, thank you for the gift. You know, it's going to be a blessing. It'll help me with the mission God's called me on. You know, it's kind of one of those things, let's advance the kingdom, da-da-da-da-da, and I went, yeah, cool, great, I'm, that's good. The other one I did not hear back from until a year later. A year later, I got a message through Facebook that said, you supported me last year, would you like to support me again this year? Now, I, I'm not petty, but I do want you to know, in, in the natural realm, there's something about somebody being thankful and grateful that makes you want to bless them more. And so I just, I just want to tell you this because there's always kindnesses given to you, and I just want to encourage me, you all. Of us. I'm sure if somebody's done something kind for me, they're saying, what a jerk, and even said thank you. And if I've ever done that, uh, that's something I, I don't ever want to do, so you have my apology. I want to be thankful for anything, and I am. But I thought, let's just pretend for a second that we make $25 an hour. Now, some of you... that. I, I think that's a good wage around here. Now, I don't know what you think about that. Some of you may say, ooh, I'd hate to take the $200 cut and pay. But uh, some of you are going, boy, I'd love to make you know, $25 an hour. If you did make $25 an hour, gave somebody $100, bucks, it will take you about five hours of labor before taxes to have $100. So I'm thinking to myself, if I could work five hours and give up five hours of my life to send you 100 bucks, you can take less than 60 seconds to say, got your money, thank you very much, God bless you. Okay, I don't need a handwritten letter. You don't have to study calligraphy and send me something fancy and address it and stamp it. Some people are like that, and if I knew somebody was like that, calligraphy would be out, but I would, you know, I would write a handwritten thank you if that's what they need. I don't need that. You can send me a text. You can see me next time and say, hey, thanks for the gift. It just Part of it, too, honestly, have you ever done this? Part of it is you just start thinking, did they get it? Then you start thinking, I sent him a check. Did it get thrown in the junk mail? it was thrown in the trash. It was a part of it. not even, I need to be thanked about this. I'd like to know that you actually got it. But when people are thankful, when people are grateful, it opens up your heart to want to bless more. I think that's part of the attribute of God. Now, God's not petty like us, you know, but God, God has put this system of gratitude into our lives. And so I love this. This is my favorite Bible event on this topic, Luke Ten. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. If you don't know a lot about leprosy, that's a good thing, because that's not a, a big deal for us. But it was, that, that was probably the most dreaded disease of all at that time. And so, if you were out in public, you weren't really supposed to get near other people unless they were other lepers. So, we're relational creatures. Human beings are relational creatures. And so, think about the emotional trauma of saying, I now am alienated from all my family, all my friends, every social event, everything. And so, when they were walking out in public, they would have to keep a distance and they would have to yell, unclean, unclean. And so people would keep their distance. Yes, there was even social distancing back then. They had to keep their distance. But they kept a lot more distance than six feet from the lepers. And so it says that he yelled to them because he didn't get close. And they said, they said, Jesus, Jesus, Master, have pity on us or have mercy on us. And it's interesting because Jesus doesn't say he walked up to him. He wasn't scared of lepers. We know that. He would touch them, hug them, love on them, heal them, you know, all that stuff. But in this event, it appears that he has yelled back at him, Go show yourself to the priest! Now you'd think, what in the world is that? They knew what it meant. Because if you believed you were cured from leprosy, you'd go show yourself to the priest. And he would examine you. Wouldn't you just like to be a priest? You know, he would examine you and determine whether you were really cleansed. The Bible says that they began to leave, that was enough of a word, they knew this was Jesus, they knew this was a master, they knew he was a healer, or they wouldn't have did what they did, to yell out to him, asking, that's what they were asking for, very specifically for healing. And the Bible says, it didn't say they were healed right then. Did you notice that? It didn't say that. Uh, I guess we probably didn't read it, did I? Well, let's read it, so we'll know that. Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest, and as they went, they were what? Cleansed, or healed. Other Bibles do say that. One of them, when he saw he was what? Healed. healed. Okay, I wanted to make sure you got it in there. He healed, so cleansed and healed. They're they're walking along, and they're going, wow, all of a sudden they're getting cleansed. And then one of them realized, oh my goodness, I'm healed. He runs back to Jesus. And let, let's look at the story. He runs back to Jesus. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. I, I'm, I'm telling you this, um, I was raised in a very quiet church. I'm not opposed to quiet, and I think there's time for quiet. There's even, we have like 60 minutes of quiet in heaven. That's not a real long time for eternity, but maybe we'll have other moments, but there's, there's quiet. But I tell you, something big happens to you, you get excited. You get loud. If you had a death sentence from the doctor, and you got prayer, and they went in, and they said, wow, there's not a trace of that disease anywhere in your body, you wouldn't say, that's nice. Thank you for that. I'm sure there would be some exuberance. And maybe you would calm yourself a little in, the, in the, the doctor's office, but there would be some excitement. And so this guy's excited. And so he comes back. He's praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and what's the next two words? Thanked him. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, for those of you who may not know, the Jews and Samaritans have been at odds for centuries. You know, they were, they, they were at odds about the theology and about God. You, you always find Jesus, oh, he's always ministering to a Samaritan. He's, he don't care. He loves people. You know, he loves people. And so he says, wow, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Now, that's the, were they all ten cleansed? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were. Where are the other Nine. Could they not take 60 seconds to send me an electronic text saying thank you for healing me? It was so nice. Well, they didn't have it back then. So where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? We were all foreigners and strangers and aliens on the earth. It's God that brings us into the family. God loves foreigners. Then he said to them, Jesus says this leper who's praised him and given him things, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, a lot of translations say your faith has made you well. I think that's a good translation. Your faith has healed you, your faith has cleansed you, all those are good translations. But words create different pictures in my mind. And so as I'm reading, if I say, as he was walking on his way, he saw he was cleansed, and when he saw he was healed, he returned, praised Jesus, thanked him, and Jesus said, rise and go your way, your faith has healed you. See, my mind says he was already healed, and he was. He was already healed. Well, the King James, I like how it says, it says, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole, whole. Uh, The disciples' uh, literal translation says your faith has restored you. Your faith has restored you. See, that's a big deal because leprosy, and you probably all know this, if you don't, you'll say it's more than I wanted to know. Leprosy eats away at your extremities. And so your fingers get ate down. Your nose gets eaten off your ears. You know, it starts eating. It's a disease that eats away your flesh. And so this dude gets excited enough to go back and thank God. And he gets a healing upgrade. I, I truly believe that. The, the, the scripture doesn't make sense to me if he says, go be healed. Because he's already been healed. Go be cleansed. He's already been cleansed. But go, go, rise up and go. You're made whole or you're restored. I believe his ears grew back. Well, I don't know what God could do that. Peter took a whack at a guy's ear. Remember that? And Jesus touched it and another ear came back. So please understand, this isn't tough for God. I know we go, whoa, that's, that's tough. Yeah, for me and you it's not for God. And so I believe his fingers grew back, his ears grew back, his nose grew back. He was whole, he was restored. Wasn't it nice to go home to family, whole and restored? I'm sure the others were excited to go back among their family, but, and I'm not trying to be funny here, but you're having dinner, and you look across to the guy with half his nose gone, his ear gone, you know, his face eating off, and he can't even hold his utensil. It could kind of be a little disturbing to eat lunch, but this guy got to go back, whole, restored, totally made, whole, and healed. So I, I truly believe, looking at that story, Thanksgiving is a portal, it's a doorway to more. It, it's this flow of God's blessing, his principles. And it's such an easy thing to do. I, I, I don't want you to underestimate the power, and you can't overestimate the power of thanksgiving and gratitude. So here's our assignment. Practice being thankful. It's not, it's not hard. Practice being thankful. When you notice a kindness of another person or you notice a kindness from God, just pause and show gratitude and say, thank you. It's easy. I was going to a drive-thru on something the other day. I'm sure it wasn't junk food. I, can't, I really can't remember what it was. And the person was so pleasant, and no, it wasn't Chick-fil-A. Everybody thinks, well, it had to be Chick-fil-A. I can't remember, but I remember saying to them, thank you for your pleasant service. And they smiled because they just seemed to be... Like their job. They might have hated it, but I love that they faked it enough that it felt pleasant to, to get whatever it was. You can be thankful and you can be grateful. Now, if you're just an old curmudgeon here today and you find you want to grump about everything, gripe about everything, complain about everything, this is your day to have a turnaround and get in the flow of blessing. Now, if you're married to the curmudgeon or they're your family member or something like that, I want to give you a pointer, especially if it's a guy, especially if it's a guy. Say a guy's been grumpy. Just he's got an attitude of grumpiness. And he hears this message today, and he says, I'm going to be a doer of the word of God. And so all of a sudden, you find him being thankful and not grumpy. You find him being appreciative and not sour. Do not do this. Well, what happened to you? You're the biggest grump bucket I ever met. I can't believe you said something nice. I can't. I don't know. Let Hey, family, let's write this down. You know, somebody, you know, because God, now, Guys, you got to crush this. Guys are pride-filled. And sometimes they'll say, well, that'll be the last compliment you ever get. So avoid that. But if, if they do do that to you, still do the word of God. Don't let pride, because see, thanksgiving and gratitude is humility. It's going low. And it's saying, I'm going to thank God. And then pretty soon, people will get used to you being grateful and thankful and appreciative. Now I'll tell you, pastor's is a tough, tough, tough tough job here's why I say that I now if I get grumpy if I complain if I murmur what do you think Darlene's going to say wow did you not hear your own message you preached (laughs) it's a tough road man the kids will be saying wow maybe you should go back and listen to that sermon you preached a couple weeks ago dad so it's like yeah we all need to do this Practice being thankful. Practice saying thank you. Practice being grateful. And practice everywhere. I have, I have worked, and I'm not the, the poster child for it, but I've worked at having an attitude of gratitude. You've heard me say this before. I'll open up the re- refrigerator with regularity, and it's full of food, or I can't put something in. When I can't put something in the refrigerator because it's so packed, I never, I, I won't say never because I probably do, but I don't think I do. I don't complain. You know what I say? <sighs> Father, thank you. That, some people today are going to starve. And I don't have room to fit this in my refrigerator. Just an attitude of gratitude. You just, whatever happens, you just find yourself saying thank you. It can Just practice on little things. Oh, my, my goodness, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that sunrise. Oh, my goodness, thank you for that starry sky. You're incredible, God. Thank you. Thank, just practice being thankful. Practice being grateful. Uh, God loves that. And it gets you in a flow of blessing. Practice it with people. Practice, 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 practice being thankful and grateful. The last slide in this message is one I always love because all of us are feeling like, at least I think we are, if we really love Jesus going after God, surely sometime we said, Lord, what's your will for my life? What's your will for my life? Well, I love this verse because it's a great place to start. Here it is. In everything, give what? Thanks. For this is the, what's the next three words? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for whom? For you. We need to say for me, I guess. For you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you that in everything give thanks. I walked out to the garage one day, had a flat tire. And I thought, I can't believe it. I thought, whoa, that is so much better than having a flat tire along the edge of the interstate while it's pouring down rain. I said, "Thank you, Lord, because that would that would have been so hard for darling to change that tire out there, interstate, pouring rain." Thank you, Lord. Thank you. But I'll think of stuff like that. Thank you. I was driving along one day. Now, in case you did, most of us have our first cars were. Pieces of junk that barely went down. Now, maybe you had a silver spoon in your mouth. I don't know, but but I'm driving. Along. The the muffler falls off. It's dragging. I hear it dragging. I pull over. It's dark outside. It's early in the morning. I pull over in the parking lot. I go, man! I can't believe it. And I thought I got to crawl underneath there, and uh, Darlene wasn't with me. Uh, I got to crawl underneath there, and uh, I stopped and said, "Wow, it's not raining. And this is a crazy, well lit lot." I'm serious. I thought this could be so much worse, you know. So I got under there and. Ripped it off it in the trunk and, you know, fixed it later. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, I want to say this. I did not say, "Woohoo! thank you for the flat tire. In that particular verse, it doesn't say thank God for everything. It says in everything. But you can find something to praise God for.